I mean, I was always a little drama queen, so I like to be the center of attention and like perform something I made up or whatever. But as far as singing publicly as a young kid, I was not. Um, I did start writing very young, just kind of as a form of therapy for myself without even realizing what I was doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say at nine years old, writing that first song was definitely a game changer in me realizing, oh, I mean, yeah, obviously it's not a great song. Okay, I was nine, but there was a gift already. God had already said, hey, when you feel these emotions, when you're so overwhelmed, this is how you're going to communicate that, you know? What are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main Fs in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ledeen, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, facing my marriage-ending affair, or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. Okay, so today's episode is definitely a pinch me episode. And this is one you are going to want to share with others because today I have Lydia Laird on the podcast. And Lydia Laird is a singer-songwriter that happens to sing my most special song that I've used throughout my cancer journey to anchor hope, anchor faith, and just honestly make me feel so supported by God. And so today, I'm so excited to have her on with this deep conversation. We talk about everything about some of the songs that she's written. She's a mental health advocate. We get into it all. This is one you will not regret listening to. Okay, so I'm actually nervous for this one. And I think Ed Milet was the last one that I got, you know, sweaty, had to take off my jacket. So Lydia, you are here. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, you were so sweet. I'm literally so pumped to be here. You have been so encouraging to me. Well, I have to say my friend Christina was the person that connected. And, you know, this is a perfect example of putting something out there that you want to happen. And you just never know. Like this was, you know, your song has been something that I know my own audience has heard so many times because it's just it's so powerful. And so just to be able to have you come on and take me through your story, because, boy, I did dive into your story. And I'm like, wow, you have an incredible story of just perseverance you know, passion, and then just that you share so much. So thank you so much. So I want to talk first, 10 kids. Yeah. <laughs> your family. What, was, what was that like growing up? I have four brothers. So I, you know, okay. five kids, big yeah. family, but what was that like? And where do you land? Okay. So I'm number seven out of 10. I always say I'm like the lucky number because seven's like always the good, special, you know, holy number. I always make fun of my sister, Esther, who's number six. She's like, dude, that's like Satan's number. I'm like, I I got the holy thing and you're over here. Like, But no, it was honestly incredible. I mean, so many people, they always have questions when you tell them you're one of 10. They're like, "Uh, is it all the same parents? Did they mean to? What was wrong? Like, do they, you know, it's always all these questions. But honestly, like, My parents are just two incredibly faithful believers and they got married really young. 
they at first did the whole birth control thing like everybody else. And it was never like this thing of religious or, or, you know, whatever. They had a moment where they just felt like God told them, hey, give this to me. And so they said, okay, however many kids you want. And I'm glad they did that because I'm number seven. So you were number seven. <laughs> so much fun though. Three boys, seven girls. Um, everybody has a musical talent in some way or another. So we grew up kind of like the Sound of Music family. You know what I'm talking about? Like traveling and it. singing. <laughs> Totally. Literally, yeah, it was crazy. Oh my gosh, what a fun life! My um, actually, it's so funny. My mom's husband, he travels with his family. They have no like way. ten kids. Same thing, Christian <laughs> family, you know, singing. Um, oh, I love it. And you guys even went to Romania. Yeah, we did. So that was that was probably our biggest experience of singing together as a family because before we went to be missionaries over there, we would literally travel church to church and like. My dad would introduce us and we would sing and raise support. And literally we would all wear the exact same outfit. So it was a little embarrassing. <laughs> like I have pictures of proof, but um, yeah, we lived over there for a couple of years and uh, it was actually an incredibly bonding experience for us because uh, six of us girls had to share one bedroom when we, when we first moved, when we first moved there, you know, dad had a heart for reaching orphans and communities that didn't know Jesus. And so we just moved to this tiny house. It had an outhouse and a well at first. Like we didn't even have indoor plumbing at, at first. Oh my gosh. And then mom found out she was pregnant with her ninth. So it was, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> wow. Can't say I know very many people that have had an experience like that. So when did you know, cause I know you were, I, I know this because my daughter is nine and her dream is to be a worship singer. So you wrote your first song at nine, but back up, were you singing, you know, from like a very young age and you love it? I mean, with my family, I was, I was always, I mean, I was always a little drama queen. So I like to be the center of attention and like perform something I made up or whatever. But as far as singing publicly as a young kid, I was not, um, I did start writing very young, just kind of as a form of therapy for myself without even realizing what I was doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say at nine years old, writing that first song was definitely a game changer in me realizing, oh, I mean, yeah, obviously it's not a great song. Okay. I was nine, but there was a gift already. God had already said, Hey, when you feel these emotions, when you're so overwhelmed, this is how you're going to communicate that, you know? So, so it definitely was, it was a starting point for me. And did you feel God's presence from a very young age? Like, did you just, I did, I'm going to be honest with you. So I became a Christian at four years old, which is very young age. And at the time that I became a believer, I would say it was more because I heard that sin was bad and I got spankings because of sin and I didn't want sin. So (laughs) smart. Yes. So in my mind, I don't think I fully grasped the gospel at that age. Um, I do think as a young girl, I, I did definitely feel the presence of the Lord and I had a passion to see other people know Jesus, but there was a period uh, of time in middle school and, and partially through high school where honestly the feelings of God's presence just left. Like it, it, all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, is this even real? I don't feel, you know, in quotation marks this way. Like mm-hmm. where's the feeling of God? Where's the feeling of faith? And uh, there was actually a season as a young girl where I, I mean, I am, if you're Enneagram person at all, I'm a, I'm a four. So we're very, very emotional, very feel everything. And I was so depressed to not feel the same feelings I felt as a young kid that I would literally lay in bed depressed about it. And I mean, I did, I struggled with my faith and wondering if maybe, maybe Christianity's a lie. Maybe this isn't even real. And uh, honestly, my parents were incredible through that. They kind of basically told me, Hey, Lydia, truth is truth, whether we believe it or not. So go find truth, go find out what that is, you know? 
That's beautiful. Oh, man, it was helpful because there was never a point of, you have to believe this. You know, it was, well, the thing is, the truth is going to remain no matter how you feel, you know? Wow. And do you think that that maybe even, because I think that's a really big lesson for any parent listening, because I grew up in a pretty strict religious home and mm-hmm. to the point that I really, I fell away from that. I was rebaptized just a couple of years ago and wow. really fell in love. And, and I finally, for the first time in my life, have a relationship. And so wow. I'm like, I'm like the baby Christian that like, I get excited that I don't, because a lot of my um, prayers in my former religion is a, lots of memorization. And so it was like a whole new world was opened up to me. And then when I realized that I could just have this constant comfort with me, I, cause I, I lived a lot of condemned Christian life, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't until it was just a few years ago, me and my husband were both in, in a room and we realized that we realized that we were safe. Like that we, it was just the craziest moment. And that we had this unconditional love because if you haven't been raised in it, like with your parents having that example, I think that's one thing that so many people are missing is mm-hmm. how can you know God's love if you're not shown that example? So like your parents saying to you, go seek it out yourself. You know, I mean, I've really transitioned my parenting styles in the last few yeah. years because of that, because I've been like, you know what, you need to find out for yourself because yeah. you don't want to be 40 years old and still not ever asking. Right. Yeah. That's incredible though. I love hearing that, that story for you, because even though I grew up with incredible parents and honestly an amazing home that so many people cannot boast of in our generation, at the same time, I was around a lot of, uh, legalism in the church, like a lot of the same kind of religion that you're talking about, where it was very much a thing that you check off, you know? And I think that that point in my life where all the feelings left, I had a moment to kind of go, do I, do I really believe this? And it was beautiful because my mom, the way she described it to me was she said, all right, here's the deal. There is truth in the world. She said, I want you to picture it. Like here's a train and some train tracks and the train tracks are, are fact. Like they are the truth. Okay. The engine of the train is faith. So it's running on truth. Okay. Now faith, sometimes the engine sometimes carries carts behind the train. And those are feelings. She said something you have to know throughout your faith walk, because your feelings will go up and down like a roller coaster is that as long as your faith is running on truth, sometimes it doesn't matter if the feelings follow. Sometimes feelings will be on, sometimes they won't, you know? And I remember when she told me that it was a moment of like freedom because I'm such an emotional person that I'm like, if I don't feel it, it must not be true. And I think that that is one of the biggest lies the enemy gives us because as you know, I mean, you're married. Love is not always a feeling. Love sometimes is a choice, right? Yeah, it's an action. Yeah, it's an action. And it's a choosing, like I'm going to invest in this. And so often your feelings follow. But I would say, you know, with with what I believe as a Christian, I mean, I had a moment even as a young girl getting on my knees and saying, Lord, and and honestly, I read the Bible story where the guy Jesus said, do you have faith this can happen? And the guy said, I believe, help my unbelief. He was like, I I believe, but I also kind of don't. Right. (laughs) Yes. And I prayed that prayer and I said, okay, God, I'm choosing this. I believe, help my unbelief. And he has helped my unbelief ever since. Well, that's amazing. And that's the exact same thing, honestly, my husband. So in 2018, when I was told, you know, I basically had, you know, they said, we're out of options. And I started to get that fear. And he, he came home and he was like, we either believe or we don't like it. There's no in between. We can't like be in between. So he's like, do you? And I'm like, yeah, he's like, then we're all in. Like, we, you know, it was just, it's, it's so it's the truth, right? You know, but I love the train analogy. I'm going to remember that one because it's so true, you know? Um, 
So you graduate high school and then what makes you decide? I mean, I know Nashville is like music central, but had you dreamed of always going to Nashville? No. So that's what's funny is I am such a kind of all over the place creative. I'm never very organized or planned out. And with this, it was like I graduated high school. I started working at a law firm in East Texas And very soon I got promoted. So I was like promoted to office manager. I was offered the head legal assistant position and I'm like 19, 20, you know, and I'm sitting here going, this is cool. This is a career job. What am I doing though? Because the creative part of me was just kind of dying, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was an incredible job, but for Lydia Laird, it was not what I was created for, you know, and there was always just that thing in the back of my mind. And honestly, for years, I'm always journal and I was asking the Lord, show me what you want me to do. And if I'm honest, he never did. I I think that his way of going, hey, I want to see your faith was me saying, I want to do this. You say delight myself in you and you give me my desires. Well, I desire to do this. I'm going to do it. If you're in it, you're in it. If you're not, shut the door, you know, and that's what I kind of did. And so there was a moment, it was the end of, I guess, 2000. I mean, I've been here seven years. So it was the end of, I guess, 2012. And I just had this feeling it was Christmas, New Year's. I had time off work. And I just remember journaling and being like, I'm going to quit my job. I'd worked there three years. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm, I think I should move to Nashville. And it was just random. It was like, I've heard that's Music City. I don't really know anybody there, but I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to go. So I quit my job. And then literally door after door after door, God just opened up things. It wasn't until September of the next year that all my friends asked me, so are you moving? I said, yeah, I'm moving the first week of September. I had no job. I had no place to live. But in my mind, I felt like the Lord wanted me to act in faith. And so I kept saying, God's going to provide something the first week of September. Well, then it was funny. You'll get just a laugh out of this because it was literally about three weeks away from when I was supposed to move. And everyone, everyone's like, okay, you literally have nothing lined up. You're really moving. And I was mid, I had interviewed months before for a job in Nashville and not gotten it. And so I was sitting there in my little apartment and I'm praying. And I remember saying, Lord, I am starting to doubt what I've been telling everybody. I'm starting to think maybe I'm not moving in the first week of September. Please forgive me. And as I was asking him to forgive me for my doubting, my phone rang in the middle of my prayer. And I answered the phone and it's this lady who interviewed me three months before. And she's like, hey, we actually do have a position for you if you want to move the first week of September. And if you don't have a place to live yet, you could totally stay with us until you do. And it was, I'm not kidding when I say I was on my knees praying, saying, God, I'm doubting you. Please forgive me. And my phone is right beside me and goes, (laughs) so my gosh, Hey, the Lord's been a part of this is an understatement. So much that you said that I want to, I want to go back because you said something about stepping into faith and that is a mistake people make is they're waiting for the answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And you made a good point. And I don't even think I've even thought of this myself is, Hey, step out. And then God, if this isn't your will. I mean, you're going to show me because so many people I think are waiting for this like head banging moment, you know, to do something when really it's like step out. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you get to Nashville. So tell me like from there to like, give me the wrap up a little bit of what's happened since then. Okay. Well, first of all, I had never dated until my early twenties, just so you know, I grew up super conservative, homeschooled, missionary kid. And so I moved to Nashville. First thing, I start working uh, a full-time job at a gym. Nothing music related. Don't know anybody. <laughs> I, I get in a relationship, like my first relationship, so excited. Get my heart completely demolished a year <sighs> after that. My, my whole kind of 
honestly, music basically stood still for that first year because I just, I got in a very unhealthy, um, emotionally abusive relationship uh, that I'll Be Okay actually came out of. So uh, believe it or not. That's what I was going to ask you was, so in that time, so you weren't really musically writing maybe during that time, but that's what helped you through the breakup. Yeah. And that's one of those things where it's like, you just, I, looking back, I can't find one horrible scenario where God didn't bring some kind of bit of light from it. And when you sit there and go, okay, you know, I moved here. I was missing my family. I'm so family oriented. I got in this relationship. It became so unhealthy, like just emotionally manipulative and abusive. And I get out of it, my heart completely broken. And I just felt like I had nothing, you know, there I am. I already, mental health is a big part of my story. And I already have struggled with depression and panic attacks and that kind of thing all throughout my life. And so all of a sudden I was alone and I was dealing with all of this and also feeling like a failure, you know, moved to Nashville a year later, still working at a gym, still, you know, you think everything, when you step out in faith, you think everything's going to like fall into place. And seven years later, I'm telling you, it doesn't, but God is every bit a part of it, just like he promised he would be, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, from there I worked when, when you talk about the musicians like journey, I've worked every, every job, driving Uber, uh, working coffee, working restaurants, nannying, building people's websites, doing anything and everything I could to pay bills, but still pursue music. And it's been a long journey with honestly, so many different God stories along the way. Um, but man, it took time, you know, seven years. It feels like Jacob's story. It's like seven years of waiting. And you're the seventh child. And I, oh, I, saw, I you know. know. It's Sony and Sony signed you this year. Yes, They signed me <laughs> August of last year. Yeah. Crazy. August of last year. Okay. Yeah. So it's been one year. Yep. And so I want to go back to I'll be okay. So yes, for my audience to know this song and I had a God moment with the song. That's what's really crazy is, you know, there's certain songs that you actually, I mean, you feel the spirit. There's just like no denying that you have something there to comfort you. And and that song, while I probably was boohoo crying most of the time when, you know, listening to it, it was a cry of comfort. Like it was, it was a cry out that it wasn't in pain anymore. It was, it, it's been the most powerful thing. But for me, I had a moment where I tend to hide my emotions from like my family and I tend to always act like things are better. And we have a, a pro on our property. My office is actually in a separate building. And so I had come over in the morning and every morning I have like worship time where wow. I, I call my anchor in time. I go out and I walk and I listen to a couple of songs and then I'll come in my office and I'll do like visualization and, and prayer. And that particular morning, I was just having such a, a bad day, like just really in a lot of pain. And I was on my knees crying. Now here's the crazy thing. My husband, first of all, at that time was not even getting up until like six 30 in the morning on any given day. Like, like he sets an alarm second. He never comes over to the office before school or anything. Like we usually meet back over there, get the kids. Yeah. But that morning at 5.00 AM, I mean, I was on my knees crying to God, like just asking him for help. And Eric walked in the room and I'm like, what are you doing over here? But it was like, God was allowing him to see my pain because I wasn't going to show it. Right. And it was just, I mean, it was one of those moments for me that I'm like, it's just no denying. Right. And I'm like, right. I even said to him, I go, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are the chances? I mean, have you even seen me in this moment, you know, crying? And so, you know, of course that was like, probably because I grew up in a, in a hymn singing mm -hmm. church where that's yeah. all we sing was hymns, 
Yep. Stood up. They're really slow. So when I grew up and the first time I even heard like kind of like popish, you know, music, I didn't even know like how to act about that. Yeah. You know, then when I met my husband who really grew up in like a, a much more like they're out there jumping around, you know, I was a little bit like overwhelmed by that. Yeah. Me up to a whole new world of music, you know, like a whole new, you know, just area of comfort, you know? And so I, I, I knew that your story with I'll Be Okay was after that, but I wanted you to tell the story about To Be Loved because there's three songs that my audience has to go like you and please, because I love to support all of like yeah. the artists that I love, go download it everywhere. Like I have Apple Music, I have Spotify, Aww. like I go download, share because I think what people, you know, forget is it, you got to get your your name out there and you got, and, and every person that shares and, and, you know, you're helping someone else, but more importantly, you're getting it out. And um, so my three were to be loved, um, hallelujah, even here, and then I'll be okay. But to be loved, I I knew the story on this, but I wanted you to talk me through what inspired you to write that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing your I'll be okay story, because that for me, it's so funny because like, it's anybody who's heard that song and has kind of emoted through that. It is so relatable to me because even as you know, even that day that I wrote it, I was at a party trying to have the happy face on and be hanging out with all these people. And my depression was so heavy that I literally remember thinking, I've got to leave people. I can't be around them. And I walked into another room that nobody was in. There was a piano and I sat down and just kind of emotionally prayed. And that was the song. And I just said, God, give me peace when I'm tossed and frightened, lost among the waves, you know, and that's, that's where that started. And so even you telling me your story of desperate, like emotion, and, and I just need to get this out for me, crying out, I'll be okay. But honestly, the bridge crying out, make me okay. Recognizing yes. that, you know, sometimes we're not completely okay yet. And that's okay. Because if you think about the disciples in the boat, as they were sitting there and the storm was freaking out, if they had only known if Jesus is sleeping, I could sleep too. Like if yes. he, if he's resting, I can rest too. And they didn't know that, you know? And so Jesus gave them that comfort and was like, y'all don't trust. Okay. Let me just show you peace. Be still. And everything chilled out. But it's like, Jesus wasn't about to die in that boat and he knew it and neither were they. And so he was sleeping. And I think for me, even hearing your story of how that song has impacted you, I just think that is so the Lord's way of showing each of us who are facing our own hell, our own storm, our own, you know, question marks. He's sitting there going, Hey, it may seem like I'm sleeping, but I am in the boat, you know, and, and totally. someday it's all going to be all right. You know? So anyway, thank you for sharing that. That was, oh, I love it. Yeah. But, but to be loved. Oh, so this song, so like, as I shared, you know, I grew up in an incredible home. Uh, I was taught about Jesus from such a young age and blessed with incredible examples as parents, but from, from such a, you know, being even a small child, I, my mental health, I think struggled. And it's funny because even though nobody was necessarily teaching me a bad view of the gospel, all growing up, I was somebody who wanted to please everyone. And I was somebody who wanted to earn your love, earn your favor, earn whatever, you know, I wanted to be good enough. And, and I struggled so much with this belief that um, if I didn't feel like God was close, I did something wrong and he was mad at me. Or if I had any, if I'd done anything wrong, if there was sin in my life at all, you know, I had a bad thought, he can't hear my prayers. Like this crazy view of Jesus that was not real at all. 
Um, and honestly, I didn't realize how badly I struggled with this view until my 20s, until I was already in Nashville, already pursuing music. Um, and it's interesting because in many ways, I think the Lord didn't open up all the doors for me that he has now until I had worked through some of this, um, which, and I still have way more to work through, but what basically I moved to Nashville with this view of the gospel that was, uh, performance-based, you know, all about working to earn God's love. And yeah. And I, I finally went to a counselor, like a, a Christian counselor, and she worked through so many belief systems I had. Like she asked me, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the father mother thing. It's like, you put all their good um, attributes down and all their negative attributes, your mom and your dad. And then you say, how many of these have you given to God and said, he is like them. And he's not like, he doesn't have any of the negative. You, you know what I mean? And, right. and so many of us, we imagine that God relates to us the way the people we love relate to us. Yes. And he doesn't, you know, because we're imperfect. We're all imperfect. And so I, uh, I mean, I struggled with that to the point that I was afraid to ever get on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication or anything like that for my mental health, because I thought maybe it was sin. And I thought that God would be mad at me. And so it honestly wasn't until uh, my mid twenties that I went through a lot of counseling. I had a uh, fishing trip with my brother and my oldest brother. And he, he told me something. He said, Lydia, um, there's two statements I'm going to tell you. And I want you to tell me which one is true. And so he said, I am worthless without Jesus. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm worthless without, totally. He's like, okay, what about I am worthy because of Jesus? And I was like, well, yeah, that's true too. And he's like, okay, you're focusing on the first one. He said, because you're focusing on I'm worthless without Jesus, you're living in that. Like, oh, I got to be enough. I'm so worthless. And so, and he was like, it's time for you to take that out of your vocabulary. Jesus died. It's done. You're worthy now. Like, and I think so many of us, we struggle to believe that. And the beauty is we don't have to try to believe it. We can just go, okay, whether I feel it or not, that's the truth. And so writing to be loved, it was me going, man, I have tried. I have worked. I have done all the checking the boxes thing. That is not it. It's enough just to be loved. You can't add to that or take away. Okay. I swear. I'm like, I feel like I'm in church right now. And I'm like being, I'm in love with everything you're saying. And it's so, so so important because I was works all about the works, really struggled with that. Very unhappy, very insecure. Hence me having an affair. You know, that's just a symptom to a bigger problem. You know, that's why I always talk about that, that it's like, you know, no, I didn't, I didn't even know who I was, you know, um, and then not feeling like you're even worthy to then go to the source for it. So like I said to you, when I had that moment a couple of years ago, um, my husband had read a book called Hero and it's by this Christian pediatrician and it was about your father. And it talks all about how you actually, your relationship unconsciously, the way you de- see God is usually how your relationship is with your father. Yep. And so if you have a good one, hey, that's great. That's even a better chance. You can still have that miss you know, the story that's not true as well. But if you have parents that have been conditional, it's really hard to see him differently. And, you know, my parents are imper. I love my parents so much. We talk a lot about this, how they're infallible. I mean, they're not perfect. They did the best that they could with what they know how, you know, but it did make me have a lot of that, you know, like I'm not, I'm not worthy. Once I think when I finally realized that I had them all the time, that I get this regardless And it just changed everything, even for my security. Like I told my husband, it helped my marriage Mm -hmm. because most issues always come from what insecurity. 
Mm-hmm. And when you realize that you have something always with you, like I said to my husband, I, I, I do this anchoring practice where when I leave the office, it's only like 300 steps to the house. Yeah. But I put my hand over my heart because that's my anchoring to remember like my relationship. And the whole way over, I have these those conversations and it's like, it's my touch point for the day. Like to remind me, like I have something always, you know, with me. I have him always with me. Um, so to be loved was one that really hit me because I think we live in a society of everyone feels unworthy, inadequate. You know, I work with females and, you know, I do a survey at the beginning of like our little group thing and every single one of them say unworthiness or, you know, they want to have more friends or they feel like they're, you know, no one will like me. Like it's, it, you know, and it'll be like a 30, a 40, a 50 year old woman that you're like, we're all seven year olds inside, right? We still want to be loved. We still want to be accepted. And we're all wanting that. And we've kind of grown up not accepting ourselves. Right. So after you, so going through therapy, and I love that you're so open about it because I am too. I've, yeah. I'm, I'm a, a bag full of therapy um, yeah. and, and tell everyone that I feel like you should, especially if you've never got, I mean, I, I love that you're doing it now. My daughter came on my podcast. I have a 18 year old and we, because we had a meltdown last year together. And I said to her, I go, instead of us like looking at this as how horrible it is, let's look at this as now we know what's wrong. We don't know how to deal with our emotions. We're pretty, you know, now let's get some help. Let's go to the counseling. And, you know, I love that my kids now see therapy as it's actually a tool to make you just even better. You know, even if you are doing okay, why, why doesn't it hurt to, to go in and, and talk with someone? And I think, you know, as Christians, that is, sometimes the, it's like, you feel guilty because you should, you should be so, you should be so happy. I've heard this so many times, right? Like you have everything yourself, you know, why are you? And that's the mistake, right? Because, you know, then it makes you think something's wrong with you. So I'm sure that was something that went through your head, right? Oh yeah. I mean, struggling. I mean, I remember even obviously different generations look at medication and certain things way differently. And I've talked about this. I don't think medication is always the answer, but sometimes it, it definitely is. And and I think I think that specifically had such stigma with it that it took me such a long time to go, is it okay for me to do this? Like, and I think it's funny because so so many times we judge God by Christians, which is sad because Christians don't always give God a good name. And who God is is a lot of grace. And and I think that we don't give him enough credit. I mean, he sent his son to die for us and we definitely didn't deserve it. I don't think he's freaking out because we need therapy. You know what I'm saying? He he knew we were in a broken world. And I think, um, you know, I honestly believe when you look at scripture and, and in God's word, he talks so much and different disciples and Paul and all these people talk so much about community and bearing one another's burdens, confessing to each other, all that kind of stuff and discipleship. And if we're honest, you know, today, I don't think there is that much of that going on in the church. It, some some people are getting it right and we're trying, but I think that's why part of the reason there's a huge need for therapy, godly therapy, um, and, and people just to help us understand our minds and give us tools to, I mean, why do you think personality tests like the Enneagram right now are so huge? Everyone is trying to figure out who the heck they are and what so they're true. here for. And so uh, the, the beautiful thing about Christianity is, we have those answers, but we're also still human and we're still discovering them. And that's okay. There's room for that. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Well, and you know, you, you mentioned something cause I, I follow you and I read a lot of your comments and, you know, one thing you mentioned is you have to fill your own cup up first mm, yes. before you can. So I think like 
you know, listening to your story, obviously going through like the therapy and stuff. Don't you think that some people have, it's like, you can't really give yourself to a relationship. You can't really give yourself to anyone. I mean, you know, I I tell my kids the visualization of the cup. I'm like, think about it. Here's your cup. If mommy's not loving herself, I mean, how am I even giving to my children? You know, how am I giving to everyone? So talk to me about that. Like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, And now having that stance and seeing that, how's it changed for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes we can be so focused on doing and even giving to others to even look good that all of it's falling apart. It's all fake. It's not actually anything real that's lasting. And just like you said, it's like that cup. How are we filling this up? You know, I think when we look at scripture, we see that Jesus and Jesus was God. Okay. Jesus was God on earth. You would think that guy was the fullest person. Like he knows who he is. He's good to go. But what so often when you're reading it, what do you see that he did first thing early in the morning? He did what you did. He, he, he would go out. It would say he would leave his disciples, go up into the mountains by himself and pray. And so it's like, if Jesus, who was God in person down here on earth, if even him in human flesh said, I have to get away and have time to be poured into before I can do what I'm called to do, then we're, how, how can we think we're any different? We're not, you know? And, and for me, you know, obviously that looks like taking care of my mental health, you know, dealing with that through trying to eat healthy, trying to, uh, work out, trying to have good godly friends, having community, um, going to therapy, all that stuff. But also one of the biggest ways for me is the same, as you said, it's getting up in the morning, grab my cup of coffee, sitting down and being alone with God. And, and I think that Jesus showed us that. And sometimes I've even thought about it. Like what would have been different in the gospel if Jesus had skipped it? What if Jesus had said, uh, I'm not going out this morning to the mountain to talk to my father. Like, is there a chance that maybe he would have given into sin? Is there a chance that maybe he would have changed his mind about having a horrible death to save all of us? Like, wow. you, you just got to wonder. I mean, if he showed that this is very important, then it must be, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely not selfish to pour into ourselves. It's important. And the beauty of that is then we can truly and realistically pour out to others. That's just it. You know, I, I call it my soft, my daily software update. I tell people, I'm like, listen, if I don't get my daily software update, like the chances are, I'm not going to feel as good. And the more that you do that for me, yeah, it's like, I I can't go, you know, I I even said to my husband, like, he'll know if I do like a sleep in with him where I'll like stay in and Mm -hmm. snuggle, he'll know that later I still have to go do my morning routine because it's like my touch point for the day. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm here. Like gotta, I gotta download all my stuff on you. And I mean, and that's the beauty of it too, right. Is I, I can do that. At any time, you know? Um, So talk to me about Hallelujah even here. Yeah. Where did that come from? Oh, man. So that is, it's really cool because that became the first radio single being signed to Sony, which is awesome. Um, But I I wrote it about a year ago and it's a song that was hard. Honestly, it's hard to be like, oh, this is why I wrote it because it's a little, for a singer and a vocalist, it's very vulnerable to talk about. Um, But I had a moment last summer where I was leading worship at this camp it was about a thousand kids. And like day three, I completely lost my voice, completely gone. Like had no idea what was going on. Wasn't sick, was really strange. I got home. Well, one it's, well, I'll tell that story later, but I got home that weekend and ended up calling the doctor saying, Hey, I need to come in. This is weird. Uh, finding out that I had some medical issues that basically could take my voice. And so it was also about a few weeks before I finally signed the record deal. So seven years of being in Nashville away from my family, I just got offered two record deals from two different labels. I just decided who I'm going with. 
And all of a sudden, oh, hey, you have vocal issues. I mean, it was like, it was like my worst fear because I'm going, God, I just gave seven years here for this to happen. It's Mm. finally in front of me. Are you literally going to take it away? And it's so funny because I literally remember, you know, that story, Abraham and Isaac, where that was the thing he dreamt of his whole life and he gave it up. And I remember being at that camp, knowing something was wrong with my voice, like literally being on stage going, God, I know, I know something's wrong and I couldn't sing. And someone else had to sing for me. And I remember just, I just lip synced. And I, I remember literally a moment on stage worshiping where I started crying because I, I all of a sudden realized God could be asking me to not do this. And and I've worked for this my whole life. Is he, is he telling me what's more important, me or this, you know? And I had a moment where I got on my knees on stage, couldn't even get my voice box to work. Nothing's coming out. And I'm just crying. And I remember going, okay, Lord, like lifting my hands and going, okay, God, if you're telling me you want me to give this up, like Isaac, I will, but I don't get it. Like, why would you do this? You know? And so that was where I was at. I called the label. I said, Hey, I'm dealing with this stuff and literally afraid that they were going to say, well, we can't take you, whatever. But they were very, very gracious and said, you know what? We can work through this. We can do it. You know? And so I go into this meeting or this hang with these two riders and I go, guys, I'm not feeling it today. I was like, here's where I'm at. I don't know if my voice is going to work. I was like, and I'm about to sign a record deal. And it feels like my worst fear is happening. Like literally seven years of why, like, what's the point? And, and, uh, I just kind of broke down in front of them. And that the song was born there because these two friends are just incredible people. They started talking to me and they're like, okay, well, what is our response to this? What do you do when you're in a place where you go, everything feels hopeless all of a sudden, you know? And, um, you know, for many people, I think they have similar stories, except way worse losing your voice. Yeah. It's my dream. And that would be very scary. But it's not like what you're going through. And it's not like someone who's just lost somebody or whatever. Like so many people have battles far worse than mine. But it's amazing because in valleys like that, we all tend to feel the same. And and that first verse is that place. You know, right now I feel overwhelmed. I need help. And I don't feel like it is well with my soul. Like, what is the point of this, God? And and yeah. And so for that chorus, it literally came to going, okay, David talked about these things a lot in the Psalms. He talked about walking through valleys and enemies coming after him. And I mean, his own son was trying to murder him. All this crap was happening. And so many times when he would lay out the worst of where he was, he would do a shift and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shift my focus from the problem to the guy who can fix the problem. And I'm going to choose to worship you even here, no matter how I'm feeling at this moment. And no matter how mm. hopeless things look, and so I didn't necessarily feel all holy like David, like, oh, you know, what? I'm a good, I'm just going to worship God. I'm, I'm great. But it was a choice. I, cho- I chose, we wrote those lyrics and I said, God, this is how I feel. And you may take this away. And that really sucks. But you know what? You are still God and you are still good. And even if I can't see it, I'm going to sing hallelujah even here. I think that's why it probably touched me so much that first verse, because, you know, for me, when it, when I found out that my cancer came back this time, you know, I thought that my Hail Mary was last time. And and I even like, I, I, I preached in that I was, I was so yeah. faithful. I'm like, it's my miracle. This is it. You know? So when it came back, I even had a moment of like, what was I even thinking? I feel so silly that I was, you know, and then I'm like, no, you know, like I'm, you know, but I, I mean, I was in church and I'm like, I'm not understanding this. Like, why would you have me go through all of this to have it come back? But even in those times, like even right now in the darkest times, I can still praise God. I can still think of so many things, you know, I mean, that's when I, I mean, I even said to my husband, when we found out this last time, I'm like, 
you know, I think it just, you know, it is, I mean, I don't want to be going through this, but I do have a, a, I have something that you don't have. And that is a perspective on life that most people don't get the opportunity to have. And they're missing out on what is so important. I get to see what's so important because I've had it flash through my eyes. You know, I've had that thought and, and most people don't get to have that, but that song was just, I mean, so powerful. I mean, again, I mean, I'm, 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 still speechless because I find it so beautiful that you can have something come through you that just touches so many people, you know, does it feel weird when people, you know, reach out? Cause I'm, I'm assuming because you do talk a lot about it's like therapeutic stuff. And I know with my podcast, I get lots of people that will send me their, they'll be like, Oh my gosh, this is my story. You know, do you, do you get a lot of people that reach out and share their story with you? I do. And honestly, uh, you would be amazed at all the screenshots I have saved because they just have encouraged me so much, you know, um, and also just how humbling it is because I, I recognize how blessed I am. I recognize how, uh, especially when people send me stories like your story and, and everything that you've had to go through and endure and things that I can't even imagine. And then to know that the Lord's decided for whatever reason to use words I've written at a time that wasn't even as bad as so many other people, you know, to use it for them. One, it shows me he loves people and he chooses to use us even when we're all messy, totally. you know, but, but two, it's just like an honor, I think. And oftentimes it, it helps me to regain perspective and remember why I am doing what I'm doing. And also just like, I don't know, th there's something about realizing um, every one of these songs that you've talked about was not born out of um, a, a place of light happiness. You know, every single one of these songs that you talked about was born out of for me, my own very, very deep valleys and what I see and what I know God's doing in your, your situation and in so many other people's right now, no matter how dire it may seem, how, how, how hopeless is that what the enemy means for evil, God always turns to good. And what seems like the end is never the end. My tattoo, all oh, things work together for it. good. I did That's not my... know you had that. That's incredible. That is our, that's our verse because of everything that's happened. Like we've literally gone through hell and back and you know what, you can turn something, you know, absolutely from a broken place. I mean, God can, you know, fix anything. And, you know, I think you're so right. The power of music, you know, there was a moment, there's just no denying it. So my um, mother-in-law, she has dementia. And so she doesn't, she doesn't even really speak very well. And she's a hard time understanding. It's really at the last places, but when we play, and this is where I always know that God is there and touching is we went um, just a couple couple months ago and we turned on a song. And as soon as it got to the chorus, like, and she doesn't know the song, keep in mind, she has about, it's about a seven minute loop that every seven minutes she's asking you, you know, what's going on. Like when we wear masks, she doesn't understand, you know, she'll be like, how old am I? You know, it's, and it's about, it's that fast. It's about seven minutes. But when we play, worship music play I'll be okay yeah. we've played she'll as soon as the chorus the other day we were in sobbing oh. I mean we all started sobbing because I'm like oh. there's no denying like she would not know even what the like she's not even understanding she's feeling yes you know and I think that's the power that you know that God is able to do through music is that you know he will make you feel like it is just for you like you yeah. said like you were in your broken place your broken pain helped me you know, my broken pain will help 
someone else, you know? So I think what I get just from just your whole message is you share, you know, your pain and it helps heal, you know, others. And just what a beautiful, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm so blessed by you sharing your hard times. Well, thank you. And and the same goes for you. I mean, I literally was thinking as you spoke how, you know, anyone who is going through a very, very difficult and painful time, when they need someone to comfort them or be there for them, they're never going to go to the, the person who has not gone through anything. They're going to go to the person like you who has already walked ahead of them. And that's why I sit here, you with your podcast, with your platform, with everything you have to say. And I see how powerful it is and how much God is using it. Not because your life has been perfect and squeaky clean, but because you are honest and you are ahead of some people and you are able to pull them through it. And I think that's an incredible, incredible gift. Oh, well, thank you. My goodness. Now you're making me feel so amazing. Well, <laughs> Lydia, this was amazing. Um, everyone needs to go follow Lydia. You're on Instagram yeah. um, under Lydia Laird, L-A-I-R-D. And yeah. she's just so much fun to like follow. You're just hilarious. Like I must say, like, you're just like, I really enjoy you. So thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. You are sweet. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Okay, another episode in the books, and I'll tell you what, I am loving this podcasting gig. I cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews, for the comments that you've been sending me. It gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear. And my one ask here is this, I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you.